Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to the So We Speak podcast. And we're going to change it up a little bit today. And I'm excited for you guys to get to meet our guests on the podcast, Julia and Jared Ford. So Jared and I were roommates in college at OSU, and we were betas together. And after we left, we both pursued theological training, different places, ended up both at Southern Seminary in Louisville. And I've gotten to spend a lot of time with them when I'm here. So this week, we're all together here in Louisville and uh, getting to spend some time on campus, do some research, have some meetings. And I wanted you guys to get to hear from them about seminary, about parenting, just about their lives, um, because of all the things that I think they do well and all the things that they've been through. And so you guys are really in luck. So Jarrett, Julia, tell us a little about your story. So we met in college. We were both a part of a campus ministry that's structured very similar to Crew, which is everywhere. So I'm assuming that that's somewhat familiar. But basically what it is, is a ministry that goes into fraternity houses, sorority houses, dorm rooms, and shares the gospel and leads people to Christ. Very simple vision. And we were both a part of that. And part of being a part of that ministry was going to these summer projects that were nine weeks Julie and I went all three summers of college. We met our first summer, worked together our second summer, and began dating shortly thereafter. We dated for about two years, maybe less, less. Um, my wife is motioning to me. And got married. Uh, we, I still had a little bit of my degree to finish, so we first lived in, uh, in Stillwater, while I was finishing out my degree, I worked as an engineer for a couple years in Oklahoma City, and then we moved up here to Louisville, where we're at now. Yeah, we've been married six and a half years. <laughs> yes, that's yes. right. Six and a half years. <laughs> I, had a little, I had a little doubt for a second. Um, and we now have three kids. Annabelle, our oldest, is four and a half. Owen is two, and Charlotte is one. You know, one of the things that has been really cool for me to get to see is obviously starting out friends with Jarrett as a single guy in college together um, before you guys started dating, then seeing you guys date, get married, have kids, and then kind of getting these two-week stays with you guys in Louisville. It's been fun to drop in and, number one, just watch the kids grow up. I mean, that's been really cool. If you only come yeah. every four or five months, the kids make huge you know, leaps and bounds yeah. Yeah. between the times that you check in and see them. But then, too, I've really loved getting to come and just watch you guys be parents. And I think you guys are awesome parents. And I know you have days that you don't feel that way. But but getting to see it from the outside, you, there are a lot of things you guys do really, really well. Um, I think you love your kids really well. You obviously, the two of you love Christ well, and you love each other really well. So I just wanted to take a moment and say... Um, Tell us a little bit about what it's like to be married, have kids, to move to a city where you don't really know anybody, to go to seminary. <laughs> well, um, one of the things that we found since moving here, as opposed to being in college, being single, or just being a couple without kids, is forming deep, meaningful relationships takes a much longer amount of time. Because mm -hmm. for Cole and I, we were roommates we did everything together. We did ministry together. It was almost like a pressure cooker of friendship that helps us to form a bond really, really quickly. Whereas now, you know, we may get to see the people that we're friends with once a week 
at best. And even then, you know, our time together is constantly interrupted by our children screaming at us, asking us for things, you know, just even politely interrupting us. And it doesn't, it's not conducive to that deep, deep sort of friendship. So that's one of the things I've observed is moving to a new place and it just taking a long time to put down social roots. Well, and I think, you know, all of us <sighs> at one time or another have done college ministry, but being in college, being out of college with a church, parachurch. And I think the hardest thing for college students to adapt to when they move out of college into kind of the young adult world is the time that it takes to build deep friendships. Yeah. So in college, you can literally spend all your time with, with people that yeah. you like and, you know, whether it's a fraternity house or dorms or just clubs or your major, and especially people that have gone to med school or law school, like the cohort that you're with, you get tight with them immediately. Well, then you get out of school and you go to work and it becomes really hard to make friends. Yeah. And I feel like even in a community like Southern, there's a pretty tight community um, it can be really hard to make adult friendships. And I know, you know, getting married on top of that, now you're, you know, now your chances um, almost cut in half because now you got to find friends that both of you like, you know, couples that you can both get along with. And so I, I feel like for young adults, that's a really difficult thing is finding yeah. communities where you can build those deep roots. Yeah, our experience definitely hasn't been unique. You know, the couples that we've met since being up here, many of them feel isolated, especially in a seminary town where many of the churches are filled with seminary students and their congregations are so transient. Everybody feels like the new person. And often in churches, it's the seasoned vets that reach out to the new people, but we don't really have any. So mm -hmm. everyone is trying to put down roots, but those roots barely, barely go into the soil and then are ripped out and they go somewhere else. So that's one of the things we've noticed in our unique position is that there's a lot of isolation. Mm -hmm. Um, but, I mean, there's also commonality, too. I mean, like, there, we're also in a unique season, which allows us to form unique relationships because we're having unique experiences, like the one that you said. So, I mean, there's balance on both sides of the equation. So one of the things I really admire about you guys and look up to, and honestly, I feel like sometimes I should be paying you guys, like, tuition for the free <laughs> parenting classes I've got when I've gotten to be up here and play with the kids and just watch you guys. I think you guys do an amazing job of uh, parenting your kids in a Christian way. And that's a, a term that gets thrown around a lot. And there's a lot of different versions of what it means to, to parent well um, as Christians and to raise your kids in such a way that they also love the Lord. I just wanted to give an opportunity for this podcast to say, what are the, what's the best advice you've gotten? Um, you're surrounded here by people who some of them have studied parenting and are teaching that, but a lot of them have been through this season of life. And so you have a lot of great mentors, a lot of people you've learned from. What's the best advice you've gotten? What What are the things that have really made an impact for you guys in raising your kids? Well, I can say for starters that we certainly do not deserve those accolades, but thank <laughs> you. Um, man, there's been a lot of things that we've learned. I mean, like Julia said, when we came up here, we only had one kid. And having a litter changes things but in terms of things that we're learning now I mean there's a lot of things there's and these are ideals so for those parents that are listening hearing me say this know that we fail to meet these things on a daily basis but you know one of the things that we're learning up here 
and we were learning in Oklahoma City, is that our kids are going out, and we are even going out, into a different culture than our parents were sending us out into. So what I mean is, as far as Christian parenting goes, we feel a certain responsibility to prepare our kids to think about things in light of a Christian worldview. You know, our parent, we weren't pressed as much as kids, as I think our kids will be pressed on what they believe, why they believe it, and even more than press, ridiculed for mm-hmm. what they believe and why they believe it. So that's one of our visions. And just to get real practical, the basic ways we do that is, you know, we have or try to have, I emphasize the try, a family devotional once a week where we read um, some sort of kid's Bible and during that reading time, it is very, very often the case that our kids are going ballistic and we just read <laughs> and hoping that the Holy Spirit's doing something with it. But the Jesus Storybook Bible is great for that. There's one that we bought. What is it, Julia? The Big Picture Storybook Bible the big has picture, been our favorite. I yeah, think. the Big Picture Storybook Bible is really good. It's a little bit shorter, so kids with short attention spans. And by that, I mean kids. Yeah, all kids uh, can listen to it fruitfully. So that's big for us. It's just doctrinal training um, or quote-unquote apologetic training in little seed form. We also do simple catechesis, like simple questions with one-word answers. Who is Jesus, God, that sort of thing. Um, I think, you know, there, there's a lot of pressure, especially when you don't have kids. There's the expectation that like being a Christian parent means you know, that, that you're going to have family devos and worship every day and all the kids are going to sit, you know, and listen to the stories and they're going to learn them and sing songs. And, and that's just not really a, 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 an adequate expectation to have. But yeah. I just love that there are creative ways that I've seen you guys work, you know, the truth, the Bible stories into the lives of your kids. I mean, I, I just think about like last night, you know, everybody's running around, we're doing all kinds of things, but we took a moment and like acted out the David and Goliath story. And some nights, maybe even some weeks, you know, that's, that's something that's really, really good to do and, and something that you can make happen. Yeah. And I would say along those lines, you know, this is true in our marriage. This is true with our kids. I think this is really true in any relationship for us. And for me in particular, someone who's really busy, often at the school, it's important for me to build relational capital with my kids. So what I mean by that is if I'm going to expect my kids to sit down and listen to me read the Bible, I don't want my only interaction with them to be serious, meaning either disciplinary or formal teaching. And so I try to fill up a lot of my time with just having a good time. Mm -hmm. So part of what motivates the acting out the Goliath thing is to teach them a Bible story, but also just to to show them that dad's willing to get down and just kind of let them crawl all over him. Right. And have fun with them and to communicate to them that I care about them and I'm not just treating them as projects to be molded in this way or that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Another thing I think we aim for in spiritual training of our kids is we try to have a balance between structured time, um, structured training and more on the moment, uh, seizing the opportunity type of training. So we do have a standing appointment for a family Devo once a week that we try our best to meet. There are weeks that it doesn't happen, but that's our goal. We know on Sunday nights, we're going to sit down and read 
from the Bible together and we try to sing a worship song together and pray and maybe do something fun like act it out or whatever. Um, but we try to be intentional as well with um, pointing them back to Christ in whatever situation we're going through as much as we can. Obviously, we fail with that frequently, but even in our failure trying to point them back to Christ, we try to show them a model of um, repentance and confession and asking even for their forgiveness. And so, yeah, I think it's helpful that we try to have those kind of bricks built in, but then also trying to do it on the go as well. Yeah, I would say two things right now that I'm learning. On top of that more general, we have a vision to teach our kids the doctrines of the faith. They're about Jesus. Um, One of the things I'm learning now is to have a long-term vision for our kids. So you get busy. Everybody gets busy. And what tends to happen is most of your training of your children becomes reactionary. This is my default mode. I'm not intentionally thinking about how I can shape them or mold them or teach them. It's more of my kid disobeyed. They're acting up in the moment. I want that to stop. And so my discipline follows that objective. Whereas I do think I heard a long time ago, but now I, I feel like I really understand this in a rich way but discipline is more about formation than it is justice Mm -hmm. by justice i mean repayment for their wrongs discipline is more corrective than it is just retributive yeah i even love the idea of calling (laughs) using the word discipline like teaching your kids what discipline is as opposed to punishment yeah one of the things I'm learning right now is, I mean, my vision needs to be really long-term. So our oldest, she's great. She has a lot of gifts. She's really smart, but she's also a very difficult child. I mean, her motion runs from zero to 100. There is no in-between. And I can really empathize with her because that's the way I naturally am, but it makes things difficult. So many of the things we've done with her, to be quite honest, right now aren't bearing a ton of fruit. We don't see a whole lot of immediate change. She struggles with the same things day in and day out. But through the wise counsel of older people around us, I feel like Julia and I are trying to recognize that, okay, she might not be different tomorrow, but calm, careful, loving, discipline over a long amount of time will likely help her to see the love of Christ, help her to be a more productive human being, and also help her to be a a woman of God. So not only does the the vision need to be a vision, meaning it needs to be intentional, but also long-term. Yeah, um, I mean, along those same lines, I would say one of the best parenting illustrations I've heard and something that I try to keep in mind and that we try to go by in governing our own style of parenting is Um, It came from a parenting class that I actually got to take here at the seminary. And my teacher talked about how in regards to the freedoms you give your child and the choices you allow them to make, a lot of people try to parent like an upside down funnel. So imagine a funnel with the wide end at the bottom and it gets narrower as it goes up. So parents will give their child a wide range of freedoms and options in those early years and employ very little discipline. So their child doesn't learn how to obey or how to be self-controlled. And as the child gets older, the parent has to then rein them in and try to train them on the back end. 
Um, so as they get older, you see how that funnel gets narrower, their freedoms get less and less. Um, and it's like Jarrett said, it's a reactionary style of parenting. You're just letting them do what they want and then reining them in when it doesn't go well. Um, but what we should be doing instead is flipping that upside down and parenting like a right side up funnel. So in the younger years, they have less freedom, less choices. You're very consistent in disciplining. But then as they grow and they show that they can handle more responsibility, we widen that funnel and give them more freedoms and choices. And then our hope is by the time that they're 18, they've learned self-control and responsibility and they're ready to go out into the world as an adult. And so that's how we hope that we can be more proactive in our parenting rather than just reacting when they do disobey. Um, And yeah, and in taking a long-term view of discipline, Um, we think a lot about Hebrews 12 with our kids and verse 11 that says, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And sometimes we even have to discipline ourselves to be consistent in disciplining our children because in the moment it's unpleasant for both of us. Um, And sometimes it feels a lot easier to just be a hands-off parent. Um, But if we're consistent with it, we may not see the exact result we're hoping for in the moment, like Jarrett said, but we're confident that will produce good fruit in the end and make our homes a much more peaceful place in the long run. It's kind of funny to sit where I am, obviously not being a parent, but one of the things I always found really interesting about college ministry is you, in some ways, you get to see (laughs) the fruit of a lot of different styles of parenting come into your ministry. And and I don't mean that at all to say that parents are kind of a one-to-one correspondence with their kids. I mean, you can't control your kids. You, yeah. you can do all the things that all the books say, and, and every kid is different. And so I'm not saying for a moment that you know parenting is this deterministic affair, but you do get a sense of the different kinds of parenting, different backgrounds, things that have happened. And one of the one of the ones that I always thought was the most fascinating was what we what we would call slingshot parenting. <laughs> and that is where you know, if you have that ups, if you have that upside down funnel, you know things get tighter and tighter and tighter and tighter. Mm-hmm. And by the time they leave the house, they've been so constrained that now they're willing to try anything right. just mm-hmm. because they don't want to have any rules. Yeah. And whether whether you're seeing that um, among your peers, like when you go to college, you see that with your friends, or like in ministry, you you talk to a person who's a junior that tells you about their first two years of college, and you're just like, you know, jaw on the ground about all the stuff they did. And then they tell you about their background and you realize that, um, you know, a lot of it was they were rebelling against what they thought was, was constraints. And you know, that wasn't their parents' goal. Like, you know, that wasn't their mentality. And then the joy that comes when you get to know somebody that they actually, they actually have a Christian worldview. Yeah. Like they, they, they're making decisions for themselves based on what their parents have taught them and, or church or youth group or, you know, the meaningful voices in their life as a kid haven't just been about restraint, but they've been able to embrace that in a way that they see now what they were trying to teach them. Right. And they're making those decisions for themselves. And, you know, you just have to throw up your hands sometimes because God ultimately is in charge of outcomes. And, uh, you know, while I think there are a lot of good methods and obviously some, some methods better than others and, you know, a lot of tips and things that can be helpful. I just love the emphasis that you guys put on prayer about your kid's future, a vision for the kind of person that they're going to be. Um, the, the day in and day out grind of not seeing any results, but knowing that this isn't, this isn't a sprint, you know, raising kids is a marathon. 
And I'm, yeah. I'm watching you guys in that. Yeah, and I, I would piggyback off that and say two things have really driven us to that. Because I, I would say this has been recent, within the last month, that we've kind of been like, ooh, our vision really needs to be long-term. And the two things that have really driven us there have been, number one, with Annabelle in particular, just not seeing the fruit. As I said earlier, you know, it gets discouraging and you realize in those moments, oh man, I just have the wrong objective. My objective is not the sort of objective that God has with me. And, you know, the Bible very often makes a comparison between God's discipline of us and a parent's discipline of his kids. And so I, I think that's relevant there. But number two, we see many people who from all we can observe are really good parents. They're intentional. They have a biblical worldview. They are consistently disciplining their kids. They have the upside down funnel, everything. And yet when their kids get to the end of it, they still sometimes don't turn out the way you think they should. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I think if anything speaks to what you're saying in terms of at the end of the day, you can't control things. It's that you see a parent that, okay, yes, they've done things wrong, but they've for the most part, been pretty good parents and their kids still don't turn out well, you recognize that behind it all is a sovereign God. And that balance just not only as an individual Christian is difficult to strike, but especially when someone else feels like they're in your control, I think that's a really important thing to remember. <clears throat> yeah, we love parenting books. And there are several that have been really helpful for us and have been really influential in, on our parenting style. Um, but there's definitely a danger in reading all of the books and that you can sometimes walk away with the illusion of having more control than you really do, especially in those really early years when you're focused on things like sleep training and trying to get them to eat at a certain time and all of that. You can just develop the attitude that your children are little programmable machines. And we think, we think, okay, this book said, if I do X and Y, my child will respond with Z. And then we do X and Y and our child responds with Q or something else <laughs> other than what we were going for. And then, you know, you have, you've had this illusion of your control and the temptation there is to get angry and sometimes even to get angry at your child. And you think, okay, I did X and Y, what's wrong with you? Why aren't you doing Z? Um, it can be, you know, I did all of the right things. Now, why aren't you sleeping through the night? Or I disciplined you just how that book told me to. And you went and did the exact same thing five minutes later. And you think, I did it right. Why am I not getting this result that I was promised? And books, so yeah, books are great. And parenting principles and structures are great. We're big, big fans of those things. Um, but we do have to bear in mind that our children are people. And there's not a formula we can input that promises a certain output. And especially bear in mind, like Jarrett said, that we're parenting with a long-term vision. And that there's a God who is ultimately sovereign. And that we are not, even when it comes to our children. You know, when you're not around kids... Uh, all the time, and you, you come into an environment where you're around little kids, <laughs> number one, the fun factor goes up like 100%. I mean, this, <laughs> this house is more fun than my house, no offense, Tucker, <laughs> uh, but, it, but this house is a lot more fun. There's a lot more joy um, just getting to be around the kids, but one of the things, too, that, that I've learned from you guys is just the, the way that God gives grace in parenting, mm -hmm. and you can know that in your spiritual life and think, you know, well, God gives me grace as, as a Christian and as a believer, but I know that it's tempting sometimes to feel like, well, you don't get any grace as a parent. And I just think about it in a sense, like I, I can remember a couple times when I've been here, like 
with little kids, like stuff just happens. Like, I mean, I remember, you know, a couple of days ago when watching Owen fall off a chair, you know, and, and hit the ground and, and you're like thinking to yourself, like, is he going to be able to bounce back from that? Like, <laughs> is he concussed or something? Are we going to have to make like a emergency room? And he was like, fine. Like 30 seconds later, he's fine. He wasn't even crying. And you're just like, you know what? Like, little kids can handle a lot. And I think that's the way it is. Uh, as I've watched you guys in parenting, like you can't beat yourself up for one bad interaction. Yeah, so one of the things, one of the ways that God shows grace, in my opinion, to parents is when you mess up and you sin against your kid, which for me happens a lot, and you apologize to them, there's just something sweet and tangible about them saying back to you, it's okay, Daddy, I still love you. Mm -hmm. And um, you really kind of just feel a sense of God's grace in a very concrete way then because you recognize that that kid doesn't have to say that to you. The fact that they say that is really an act of a sovereign God behind a little innocent kid that you've sinned against. And it's just humbling. It's it's humbling. It just makes you feel God's grace in a way that's unique. And so that's one of the ways, Cole, that I think that God helps you to have grace on yourself is at least in the early days, the days that we're in, your kids do bounce back so quickly from your sin and they are willing to forgive you so quickly. And it just kind of not only, yeah, not only shows God's grace to you, but, but, but demonstrates the importance of repenting and really acknowledging like I, I yelled at my kid. That's not just a mistake, although it is that. It, it's sin. It's it's mm-hmm. it's wronging them. Um, and so, yeah, in those moments, it's the grace of God is very tangible, I would say. Yeah, I'm very much a perfectionist in all that I do and really um, beat myself up for those kinds of things. And one thing that I'm constantly reminding myself is that my goal is not to be the perfect mom. My goal is to point them to Christ. And even my failures can serve to do that in a really big way, um, sometimes more than my successes, in that they see someone that is modeling for them what a relationship with Christ looks like. They see them humbling themselves and saying, I still, as much as I'm striving to be obedient to Christ and to walk in holiness and in love for God and for others, I still need Jesus and I still mess up and I still need to repent and ask for forgiveness both to my children, to my spouse, and to God. Um, so I think, yeah, just remembering what my goal is, trying to remind myself it's not about being the perfect mom. It's about pointing them to a perfect God, whether in success or in failure. I think a struggle for a lot of parents and a lot of people in general is confusing the idea of condemnation and consequences for sin with your children. So I hear people quote Romans 8.1 all the time, Um, There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ to justify why someone shouldn't receive consequences for their sin. But that's not what that means. For those who are in Christ, we will not be condemned and we will not be cut off from a relationship with the Father because Christ has won and secured that for us. But our sin still has consequences, whether it's the disruption of our communion with God or with others, losing a certain position or what have you. Our sin still often has consequences. And to parent your kids in such a way that teaches them that sin doesn't have consequences isn't gracious. It's neglecting to teach them the truth about who God is, what sin is, and how the world works. And it's neglecting to train them up, hopefully, to one day know God and walk in His ways. And so I'm constantly reminding myself and trying to encourage people, 
um, young parents, don't be afraid to step into the position of authority that God has put you in as a parent. You don't have to just try to be a mentor-mentee relationship or a best friend relationship, but God has called you to be their authority for their good. That means giving discipline, giving consequences for their sin, um, but also, you know, they see that grace and that even though they do have consequences for their sin, you do not disown them or, you know, cut off your relationship with them. And that's how God operates with us as well. And so, um, yeah, don't be afraid to be the authority, but also to act in grace. And I would say too, just in terms by way of encouragement that you as a parent, most likely now I know there there may be some single parents out there and man we ha- we had some single parents in a home group that we were in Oklahoma City and that's just a very hard position to be in but the parents that have partners that have spouses um, one of the things that encourages me is that when I'm not doing it well Julia does a great job of stepping in and helping me out it for us anyway is a tag team effort. And the reason that's encouraging to me and the reason I hope that will be encouraging to listeners is sometimes it's helpful to remember that you're not in it alone. When you're going down and you're not doing well, if some if you know that someone can step in and help you out, it doesn't produce the sort of anxiety as you look toward the future and like, man, I messed up today and I still got 18 years to parent this little kid. Mm-hmm. You think, you know what, no, I'm linked arm in arm with someone who loves me and loves our children and that when she's down, I'm going to help her and I'm going to have her back. And when I'm down, she's going to help me and have have my back. So in terms of parenting, I think that's one of the places that I've been encouraged is just not knowing that I'm not going at it alone. I think that's one of the things you guys do really well and that I've loved just getting to be a part of and get to watch. And, you know, you guys are early in parenting young kids and a long ways to go but I think you guys do a great job and I hope it's really encouraging to those who are listening who have kids even ones that are further down the road than you are and I know it's encouraging for people like me who want to have kids and who look forward to that and get to learn from you guys so thanks for your advice thanks for being on here yeah thanks Cole appreciate it So one of the things we like to do on the podcast is when we bring people on, which you guys are actually the first, So, but I'd like for it to be a habit. Mm-hmm. Um, we like to ask, what five books would you take to a desert island? So let me give you guys the ground rules. First of all, this island is a vacation spot. You're not stranded on this island. You didn't like shipwreck on this island, so you don't need to bring anything like you know, how to build a boat or flora and fauna of desert <laughs> islands or anything like that. Like, and this island is already stocked with some of the essentials. So there's already a Bible in English, whatever translation you'd like. There's already a Greek and Hebrew Bible. There's already the, the life works of Augustine, of Calvin, of Luther. Spurgeon's sermons are all there. So what five books would you take with you to a desert island vacation? Me first. Okay, so first I would bring... My favorite book, and Cole, I know you and I share our love for this book, um, A Severe Mercy by Sheldon Van Auken. This is this would be my nonfiction choice. Um, this is a true story that is so beautiful, and it's just so beautifully written, and it includes real correspondence between the author and C.S. Lewis, which I think is really cool. 
Um, and when I read this, I just felt so connected to the characters and to their story. And I cried a lot. So definitely my like good cry book that I would bring. It's a great one. Um, my fiction series would be the Harry Potter series. I know it's cliche. Fantastic. <laughs> I know it's cliche and probably everyone you'll have on the podcast will say that. But it's just so well written and creative and it just pulls you in. And I could definitely spend time reading and rereading those books on a desert island. Um, the book I would bring to study that's more of like a textbook is God's Kingdom Through God's Covenant by Dr. Gentry and Dr. Wellam. I recently finished this book and it has helped me so much in my understanding of the big story of the Bible. And if I had a lot of time, I would just go back and pour over that and take in all of the details and learn it really well. So I would definitely have to bring it with me on a desert island. Mm -hmm. um, the book I would bring for a more devotional reading is Be Still My Soul by Elizabeth Elliot. I just love Elizabeth Elliot, and in this book, she shines wisdom on so many different areas of life and just points you to worship and deeper trust in God, and I definitely want to reread that one. And then finally, I would go on a little bit different of a path and say that I would bring a book of crossword puzzles. Oh, I never even thought about that. That's a great <laughs> idea. It's a I really good idea. That cool. Yes, Two I'm peas a, in a pod. Yeah, I love crosswords. Yes, Cole and I also share our love for crosswords. I'm a little bit of a crossword junkie. I do them pretty much every night to try to wind down before bed. So if I was ever going to sleep on this desert island, I would have to have my crosswords. you got to have it. He's got to feel like home on the desert island. Yeah. That's a really good idea. Jared, what would you take? I actually find this question very hard because my chances to read fiction are few and far between. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like the only cool answers to that question are fiction answers. But I thought of some. I have read some fictional books in my lifetime. So the first one I thought of was um, Notes from the Underground by Dostoevsky. It's, it's basically a shorter version than Crime and Punishment. Um, wow, that, that's a book I would never take on a desert island. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was made to read that once in my life. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I never want to read it again. So you kind of get the psychological thrill that uh -huh. if you can slog through climate and punishment, you can get. But right. it's only about 100 pages. And I just find it intriguing and entertaining at the end of the day how Dostoevsky can take this singular social interaction and can stretch it out mm -hmm. into ways that are recognizable for you. So, for example, in the book, he talks about the main character walking towards the stranger in the street and all the thoughts that are going through his head and the feelings of intimidation and the feelings of threat. And it's really interesting. And you read it and into reading it, into reading the description of the thoughts, you're like, I've felt that way before. Yeah. That's and you're thing, like, you all know. he's talking about is walking towards a guy on the sidewalk. This guy has a gift. That's the thing that's so amazing about fiction, and I'm, you know, I'm with you. I'm not a, I'm not a big fiction reader. I mean, my fiction is pretty much relegated to Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter. But what, what I really respect about fiction is exactly what you said. Somebody that can explain the world as you've seen it in a way that you're like, that's what, exactly. that's what I meant. That's what I really yes. should have said about that encounter. And Dostoevsky of all people is one of the masters. Of yes, that. that's, he, a, that's a great. Yes, he is. And I, again. I feel like those sorts of books are a little bit of a halfway house, so maybe I'm cheating here. They're fiction, technically. Right. But they're not. You're still getting a lot. You're still getting a lot of, of thought-provoking stuff out of them. That's right. So 
Um, I'm just going to go ahead and throw out my second one and not even call attention to the fact that it's cliche and say Harry Potter. Okay. I love the stories. I'm a very easily pleased human being when it comes to entertainment. So a good <laughs> good versus evil story oh, is yeah. where it's at. And if you can throw in wizards, which I'm a nerd as well, oh, then man. you have me happy as a clown. Plus they're long, so it never ends. The you entertainment really never ends. Gets, when you get done, you could just start them back over. Again. That's exactly You right. could just go back to number one. You don't want to know his Desert Island movies. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All I'll say is that Pacific Rim would be included amongst those movies. I'm not coming to your Desert Island Pacific Rim. Easily pleased by entertainment is an understatement. Believe it or not, Jared and I have actually watched the movie Expendables 2 together. That's all I'll say. <laughs> and I loved every minute of it. Um, this would be, my third one would be more nerdy. I have for a long time wanted to read Planting His Warrant trilogy. I am very interested in the questions that he's trying to answer in that book. I encounter them on a day-to-day basis, and I've heard so many good things about them. I've read the abridged version, but I'd love to schlog through those. And, hey, if I'm on a desert island vacation, I don't have anything else to think about, then that gives me the time to do it. It may take me 20 minutes to read one page, Mm -hmm. but I have no obligations. So, Desert Island, Warrant Trilogy, here I come. The fifth, or the fourth one, would be, I don't know a title of a book, but some sort of handyman book. Like, I find myself, (laughs) possibly, my wife is laughing because this handyman book would definitely have to have a section on hanging doors. Not a story to be told now, but it was a disaster. You've had bad luck with doors. I've had bad luck with doors. Cole also knows this firsthand. But some sort of handyman book. Any, Any male just feels this innate need to be handy, and yet... It eludes him for some yeah. reason. Yeah, and especially on a desert island. I yeah, feel like they exactly. need a hobby, probably. Yeah, exactly. Chop down a tree, chapter one. Hello, there right. you go. There you have your day. But especially since we own a house now, like just as developing that skill set, even on vacation, yeah. is not only expected. I, I would just like to do that. And then, and then the last one is probably my favorite sort of story. It's called My Glorious Brothers. It's a story, mm. a fictional account, though, of the Maccabean Revolution kind of right around Jesus' time, right before um, when the Jews took back the, uh, the, the land of Israel from, or from the Greeks. But what's really th- cool I like about the story, and you can tell from the name of the book, is just the brotherhood of it. Mm-hmm. So Cole and I have this in common. We really value loyalty through trial. Um, and this book depicts that. And, you know, not only is that something I experience and really reap the benefits from with my relationship with with you, Cole, um, in college, but I just love stories about it. Yeah. So that would be a book like the Band of Brothers story where it's just like these guys have gone through everything and they are they are closer than blood. I just love that motif that sort of story so that's what i would choose yeah that book my glorious brothers it, it, that's one of the best books i've ever read and i remember the first guy richard cole actually gave that book to me when i was in college and it had gone out of print it's by howard fast it had gone out of print and so the only copies were like ones that you could find at used bookstores yeah. and that kind of made it cool yeah. just in and of itself but it was really good so a couple of years ago i think maybe two or three years ago they reprinted it yeah and it came out with a new edition now it's pretty easy to get on amazon and and we'll put a link to it in the in the bio on this one. But all men should read it. Oh, it is such and a good women. and and it, it's a good background to the New Testament as well. I mean, the yes, Maccabean Revolution just uh, 
150 or so years before the time of Christ. Yeah. Uh, really, really excellent to give you kind of a feel for that. Yeah, definitely. Uh, but the book, the book, it really is kind of a first century, or, or I mean, second century BC version of Band, Band of, Brothers. of Brothers. Yeah. So anyway, well, Jarrett, Julia, thank you so much for being on the podcast. And uh, I just love you guys and I'm thankful for you guys. And uh, really, really glad that you guys took the time to be on here. Happy so to thanks do for it. doing it. Yeah, thanks, Paul. And we love your podcast, so we're honored to be here. Thanks for listening to the So We Speak podcast. If you like what you hear, go ahead and leave a comment, leave a review, email us, tell us what you like about it, tell us what you'd improve about it. Thanks to all you guys who are listening, and we'll see you next week on the So We Speak podcast. Thank you.